and welcome to Food to Go, New Foods podcast. I'm Bethan Grills, editor of New Food, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts. Yes, hello, Beth. I'm Joshua Minchin. I'm the assistant editor of New Food for anyone that's listening for the very first time. And I'm Abby Sreetharan. I'm the editorial assistant at New Food. Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us. As we all know, the plant-based sector is booming and what once claimed a small niche shelf in the supermarket now dominates its own section. With this new drive for alternatives, we've also witnessed a rise in plant-based milks. On top of that, we're seeing a push for functional foods as the consumer becomes more health aware. So today we are interviewing the dairy leader from Frizan Campina to discuss how some of these trends are influencing their sector. Is plant-based milk impacting sales? How is the dairy sector addressing climate concerns and how dairy can play a part in a healthy diet? Yes, but on Beth, and as you said, we were lucky enough to speak to one of the biggest names in dairy, um, Friesland Campina, and more specifically, Anna Peter Lindebaum, who is the Managing Director of Innovation at Friesland Campina. We spoke to Anna Peter late last year, and here is what he had to say. Welcome, Honor Petter Lindbom, Managing Director of Innovation at Friesland Campina Ingredient. You are live on Food to Go. Yes, thank you, Bethan and uh, Joshua. Thanks for uh, inviting me to your podcast. Oh, you're more than welcome. So we're going to be talking about trends in dairy today, including health and sustainability. Uh, so, Honor Petter, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, which consumer groups are driving change in products containing dairy ingredients? You know, what products are they impacting? And, and how do you guys see this as an opportunity? Yeah, I think there are quite a few trends actually to uh, to single out. But let me um, try to take the most exciting one first. I think that is increasing health conscious and active consumer. And so we see, and particularly maybe in this uh, time of pandemic, that people are more and more aware of their health and the, the importance of uh, nutrition on the same health, both on the short term and long term. And I combine it with the fact that people are becoming increasingly active, aging. And that means that for us, there are exciting opportunities in areas like sports nutrition, where we see there's an appetite for, uh, for products like uh, proteins stemming from dairy ingredients, but also functional foods and beverages that play an important role in um, tapping into that health consciousness where people may feel that you need just something to eat, but uh, something to eat with a benefit. And that's where you can also, for instance, fortify your food with, uh, with all sorts of ingredients uh, that are, for instance, whey-based, and it brings certain protein benefits, or a snack that contains not only something um, uh, nice to eat, but may actually be good for your gut. And just to single out a few of those kind of examples. That would be lovely. If they could create a chocolate that, you know, that was just as beneficial as vegetables, I'd be set. <laughs> well, well, interestingly enough, for instance, in Japan, you have these kind of applications where you have confectionery and, and also chocolate that is maybe fortified with a fiber that is not just something to uh, indulge on, but actually uh, something that is good for your gut. So you can uh, eat away and munch away actually uh, for the whole day, I would say. Well, that sounds perfect. Just before Christmas, Beth, doesn't it? Exactly. does. It does, definitely. Well, okay, so... Functional ingredients, I've heard that term quite a lot. What do we mean by that? You know, what kind of things are you guys doing in this area? Well, functional ingredients are actually doing a bit more than just providing, let's say, nutrition. So whereas a fat can be a form of energy or protein could be a, a building block of, uh, of a muscle, a functional ingredient actually packs a punch. 
So let's take, for instance, prebiotics, uh, fibers that you add to, um, to your food and actually feed the bacteria in your gut, uh, which then consume these uh, prebiotics and actually produce all sort of metabolites that can help your body nourish itself. That kind of prebiotic function is, is an example of, of also, let's say, our portfolio of prebiotics, uh, which we tap into early life nutrition, uh, where we, for instance, produce human milk oligosaccharides, an important um, subcategory of, um, of prebiotics that actually help the child to develop in his early life. Uh, but that can be just as beneficial for, um, for people maybe uh, with a certain um, good health deficit uh, think about a patient as recovering from um, an antibiotic treatment, and that has a, a big impact on uh, microbiota buildup in uh, in the same gut. And so these kind of functional benefits in this uh, particular example from uh, from a fiber, and that's that's I think a good exemplification of of what a benefit uh, from such a functional ingredient looks like. On a you mentioned that. This is a trend that we've seen sort of a boom in the last couple of years of everything that's that's been going on in the world. But do you see the trend towards health and functional foods and ingredients continuing past that, say, for the next 12 months or even two years? Yeah, for for sure. I think we're we're still in the midst of a, of a pandemic. It depends maybe a little bit where you sit in the world. But um, I would say uh, with the COVID cases again rising here in Europe, but also still, I think, quite a few concerns about the rest of the world. It's fair to say that that has driven already a tremendous increase um, of, for instance, immunity concepts. And so this, this insight of consumers being health conscious, but particularly also related to wellness, the overall, overall health, I think that is here to stay. Um, and that's actually, I think, extended also in the mental health area, where we see, and we've done some research with FMCG gurus earlier this year, and it showed that two-thirds of consumers are actually interested in products that support mental and cognitive health. And that's a very, very kind of interesting area. Because again, through what I just mentioned about um, working um, a certain impact on, on the buildup of a good microbiome, so in your, in your gut, actually you can influence the so-called gut brain axis. And it can support your immune, but also your overall mental and cognitive health. And we've done a few uh, studies together with uh, Surrey University in the UK, had that suggested a link between a good gut health and also positive outcomes like reduced anxiety or stress. And that, that is, I think, kind of examples we'll see emerging more. And so the design still needs to be developed for, uh, for a larger part. But that's a very, very exciting trend. And it's definitely here to stay also post-COVID. Mm, I've been hearing a lot about this link, actually. So it's, it's, you know, it's interesting to hear that. And, you know, I'm very excited, as, as you said, you know, to kind of see what's on the horizon. Okay, so, you know, we've been talking about trends. So where do you, you know, what is driving the interest in the dairy category with regards to these trends? Well, I think in general, you, you can say that the dairy has been already for quite a bit of time, thousands of years, I think, actually, an essential part of the menu, the diet of consumers. And, and what we're actually seeing is that, that we're now experiencing more zooming in to those functional ingredients from the same category, so from dairy. Over half of consumers actually seek out products that contain, for instance, dairy prebiotics, protein bars, protein links. So both, I think, again, here from a scientific point perspective, where we see potentially health benefits or it's the applications and that, that, uh, that help sustain a healthy diet, but do it also in an easy, accessible, and on-the-go kind of way. Think about 
protein snacking. Uh, that is both indulgent as well as healthy. It could also be a ready to drink. Uh, that's easy accessible if you have a, a little bit of time for your breakfast. Or, well, uh, let's take again the example uh, of adding fibers to your diet. And uh, maybe if you're not that fond of, uh, of vegetables, and I think we should be, mm-hmm. nevertheless, if you aren't, and then there are obviously also options to take in additional fibers outside of, um, of such a category. And then, then you can also resort to, uh, to the dairy category functional ingredients. Well, Peter, I just wanted to take the conversation in a, in a slightly different direction. Clearly, health and, and, and wellness is a massive trend at the moment among consumers, but I think so is sustainability. We've just had COP26 finished not two weeks ago, and I think it's front of everyone's minds at the moment. So with that in mind, how do you see the demand for organic products growing? Yeah, it is increasingly popular across, let's say, the whole nutrition industry. I think we do have to be a bit careful with linking sustainability to organic because the organic category does not, in all areas, I think, tap into the uh, sustainability trend and think about things like, for instance, the greenhouse grass emissions related to the um, efficacy, actually, of production of all sort of ingredients, including dairy. At the same time, so we see organic growing. And that, that is, and I think in our case, backed by, let's say, concerns consumers may have on environmental impact of agrochemicals, but also rising disposable incomes, with which enable maybe the, the, the purchase of an organic food that is, let's say, perceived healthier or of better quality. And one of the areas you see this best in is, for instance, infant nutrition, where we have had the uh, introduction of organic propositions already um, over a decade ago. And there you see clearly, uh, as parents have busier lifestyles, uh, we see that formula sales are actually there typically growing. And with the opportunity to buy the best on the market, and we also see that some of these parents actually tap into the organic products. And yeah, that leads to a significant growth, in this case, in the early life nutrition market, I think that is the kind of stimulus you see across the the food categories, uh, including, for instance, in our case, also the adult nutrition domain, where we would also expect to see this trend being picked up. Mm, We're definitely seeing more, well, I am certainly in the UK supermarkets, more organic products on the shelves. I'm also seeing, which I absolutely love, products that actually that you know the the shelf for wonky veg and you know I think that's fantastic so obviously you know vegetables that aren't aesthetically pleasing which you know normally would actually just go to waste being marketed which is fantastic and on that topic of you know ethical and sustainability um you know they've been key positionings this past year are you seeing a trend of consumers turning away from dairy-derived ingredients and products as a result? Yeah, I think that, that requires a nuanced answer because I think from, from, let's say, an essential healthy balanced diet perspective, that dairy needs to be there. I think that, and that holds true, I think, for many of, of the Western countries where, where dairy has been historically an intrinsic part of, uh, of our menu. At the same time, I think you're right that we're seeing and that the dairy, for instance, is, is also being scrutinized when it comes to taking, uh, let's say, action on its sustainability, on its footprint, uh, because we are obviously also aware that we make a notable contribution to greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions. And I think that that's also where the, where the call to action sits. Uh, we feel this is an era in which dairy is still an essential part of a balanced diet. 
And at the same time, I think it, it is there is a clear call to action for us as industry to make sure that we address that sustainability concerns, that we address the fact that we also have to protect and preserve this precious earth and also provide clear and transparent information to consumers so they can make this educated choice. Because I think in the end of the day, consumers will um, steer the market. And, and I think we as industry have to make sure that we provide them with the best information and the best data actually that is out there and that we have available. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, there are talks about standardizing eco labels, but that's going to be incredibly difficult because it's it's very difficult to measure kind of sustainability values. But I do totally agree with you. I think there's been a, a kind of um, a tendency to villainize the dairy sector and also the meat sector in a way. And it's confusing for consumers. And, and you know, it's confusing for me as, as I work in this sector um, to actually sort of pick apart fact from fiction. And it, you know, it, it's incredibly difficult. Um so on that note, let's talk about plant-based products. You know, what's going on in this space here? And what what kind of trends can we expect? You know, are you guys doing anything within the the sort of plant-based dairy sector? Yeah, that, that that's indeed a good point. I mean, if you bridge from dairy to to let's say dairy alternatives, I think the the plant plant domain is is rapidly emerging and we see this also. And so the, the, the growing flexitarian trend that we see in society is also driving up plant-based ingredient growth. And as, as much as I think we see still also the dairy ingredients growing, we also see this trend in plant, uh, plant-based um, uh, diets. And, and that may not be fully vegan, but also, again, as I mentioned, the flexitarian trend is, um, is probably spi- giving this spike in demand at the moment. And people are reshaping their lifestyles uh, among with the, their environmental beliefs and, and in such a reset and, and there is space for both dairy and plants. But it also means that, that for us, for instance, as a dairy cooperative, there's a necessity to play in this plant-based uh, space. And I'm also very proud actually of my team who pulled off um, actually very recently uh, our very first launch of our own plant-based protein range called Plantaris, and, and we've developed that together with AGT Foods, a, uh, a large Canadian player in the pulse protein uh, domain. And with them, actually, we're now providing both faba and pea protein powders to, uh, to our consumers and to our customers, actually, that, um, that require that. Are there any kind of interesting, you know, you mentioned pea protein there, it's such an exciting kind of ingredient at the moment. Are there any other kind of ingredients that are, are coming to the fore with regards to alternatives within the dairy sector that we might, you know, keep an eye out for? Well, it, I think historically we've seen a lot of soy and oat kind of products hitting the market. I, I do think they personally, they come with a, with a big challenge that's typically on taste. And so, Yes, to, to, to your question, I think there are quite a few other alternatives being developed and being out there. I also think about products like canola-based ingredients. At the same time, and that, that's why we chose, for instance, pulses, pea and fava beans, actually a foundation of, of ingredients that are uh, better in taste. And so we know that consumers are looking for plant-based propositions, mostly for, let's say, their good taste. So they have to come as close as, 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 as they can. To, to dairy proteins who set the bar basically in when it comes to taste and, and mouth feel and texture. 
And that's where we feel that pea, and more than soy and oat, etc., has an important role to play because we, um, uh, we can formulate very, very clean tasting, neutral tasting products, and that can be, um, let's say, flavored in all sorts of forms and ways uh, to meet that uh, consumer need on, uh, on taste. You know, nowadays when you say things like pea and fava beans, and you know, no one would blink an eye. They just say, oh, great, that's a really great innovation. But I remember years ago, I'm not going to say how many years ago because I'm not going to give away my age, but I remember years ago drinking rice milk and it being, it was really impossible to get an alternative. And I had to because I, I've got a sensitive stomach and, I, you know, I, I found that an alternative was better on it. And I remember someone saying to me in university, well, how do you milk a rice? So how, how things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that probably would have been me, Beth, to be fair, um, <laughs> university. That's the kind of question I would have asked before uh, educating myself. Anna Petter, you mentioned that demand for, for plant-based products. And I think that that comes out of a demand for sustainability from consumers. I think consumers demand certain credentials from all of their manufacturers in all sectors. So from your perspective, how has the dairy industry responded to that, that, that demand for sustainability? And I suppose my second part of that question is, has the pandemic changed the way that Friesland Campina Ingredients is approaching its sustainability efforts? Has, it, has, it, has your work been made harder over the last 18 months? Maybe um, it's good to start with the last question, because I, I think the, answer, the short answer there is no. I don't think that, that COVID has changed in any formal way, actually, our, our response and our approach to sustainability. And I, I think for us, being a cooperative, we have 150 years of heritage. We just celebrated it a few months back. I think it's very important to focus on the long term. And that, that's also where our commitment to preserving the, the, the precious planet we live on comes from. And that, that means that we have to address those issues that we see, and, and let's call them out, uh, items like greenhouse gas emissions, uh, but also making sure that we uh, play a role in biodiversity, a better packaging, those kind of reducing waste, that is tremendously important to, to Frisson Campina. And even if we have gone virtual for, for a lot of our co-workers actually collaborating together with our customers and, and, and looking into the consumer market, we have not lost any momentum. Actually, the opposite, we have increased our, um, our investment in, in sustainability, which we call nourishing a better planet. And... I'm also, in that sense, proud to call out, for instance, a collaboration we have with Nestle, uh, with whom we're now actually partnering on um, improving our overall greenhouse gas footprint and, and working our way towards our end ambition, which is carbon neutrality latest by 2050 uh, and some concrete targets in come uh, because that is still a long way out, but we're, we're actually doing that as we speak. And so, and, and we'll probably see a few more of those uh, kind of collaborations come to life and come to light in the, uh, in the coming months. So we're not stopping. We're actually, I think, more accelerating than, uh, than being impacted by COVID in any formal way. It sounds like Friesland Campaign is doing some, some really great work and, and that collaboration with Nestle is, is really, really interesting. Do you think that that's just the bar now? For consumers do you think consumers just simply expect that level of dedication and work from their food and beverage manufacturers do you think that it's correct that some manufacturers position themselves as sustainable should it not just be the the norm it's definitely not a trend and i i think consumers do expect it i think it's also fair to say that that there, there is differences in in how 
companies approach this and, and adapt to what the consumers need. So I'm not sure it's an exclusive domain. So in, indeed, if there are companies out there that, that want to, um, to claim this, uh, be my guest. But I think that's a difficult stance. And particularly if you realize that uh, we are also dependent on each other in, in some form of way. And I think uh, what society and our consumers expect of us, I think, is to team up and make sure that we explain them what we are doing. And so to make sure also that it's concrete, because by now everybody knows that we're working towards this carbon neutrality in 2050 and the like. But how are you going to get there? What are the measures that you're taking? And for that, we need to collaborate. I think we need to be transparent on data, as I said, but we also need to make sure that there is the data that is measurable. And so how do we improve the greenhouse gas emissions on a farm? Then, then we have to work also there together with, with each other, basically, to make sure that we standardize the way we measure. And it's meaningful that we do that's with, that we're not all inventing the wheel there, but make sure that we standardize our approach and, and have that and create that impact by, um, like we're doing, working with our member farmers on generating energy on the farm, by putting solar cells on there and recycling our uh, our wastewater from our factories and stuff like that. I think that is essential here to really make that impact that our uh, our planet uh, needs at uh, at this point in time. I totally agree with you there, Anna Peter. It's you know it's essential that we collaborate. It's essential that we look at ways in which we can measure these things. And actually, you know, you mentioned transparency there to the consumer. The consumers will expect transparency. They'll expect companies to be able to give them these kind of these details, this level of information. And it sounds like you know Friesland Campino is is doing some really great work within this area. So I'm, I'm really excited to, you know, see what, what's next for you guys and, and you know, on the what's on the cards. Well, thank you so much, Anna, Peter, for joining us today and telling us all about what Friesland Campina is doing within you know, health and sustainability. As I said, sounds like some really fantastic work is on the horizon there. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much uh, for having me. Okay, great. I mean, what a, a fantastic interview and just some really interesting points raised there. So, Josh, I'm going to throw it over to you. What's your analysis? Core analysis is a big word, Beth. Isn't it? like, <laughs> it's very, very professional of us. Um, yeah, brilliant. I mean, what probably won't come across to the audience in that very short clip is how engaging and interesting Anna Peter was the time that we spoke to him. Um, it was just before Christmas, and I absolutely loved speaking to him. It was really, really interesting to hear what, what's going on at Friesland Campina. I actually thought he started off really, really strongly. Um, that point about functionality in food, I think, is really, really interesting at the moment. Everyone we speak to, no matter what the field, whether it's dairy, whether it's plant-based, whether it's red meat, functionality is becoming so important for consumers. I think we are all a bit more health conscious as a result of the last 18 months, two years. And so it's not just enough for something to be tasty. Like it needs to have sort of an added value sort of nutritionally as well. I know that sort of the fortification debate is, is, is raging in the food industry at the moment. Like do we fortify more foods to make them healthier? Does that count as modification? So yeah, I thought that was a really, really interesting sort of facet to that, to that, to that intro. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Fortification um, is becoming more commonplace. So the University of Ulster are actually um, looking at fortifying dairy with vitamin D um, because in the UK, as, as you know, a lot of people will be aware, we are really vitamin D deficient because we have no sunshine. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, that's a really exciting study, being able to fortify dairy with D to improve our intake. The reason that they're targeting uh, the dairy sector in particular uh, in this study as well is because uh, a lot of people within the UK and Ireland really like dairy. Um, that being said, as I mentioned at the start, we are seeing a push towards alternative you know, milks. Uh, I should really call them drinks because they're not allowed in the UK. They're not allowed to be called, well, you know, we can say milk, but actually in advertising terms, we have to call them um, drinks. So if you go into a supermarket, you'll always see oat drink rather than oat milk. It's daft, isn't it? That it's daft. <laughs> well, I kind of, I kind of get it, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit, maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit pedantic. I don't know. Abby, you recently tried an alternative uh, milk, and I was really enthusiastic about this because I drink oat milk. And yeah, what what was your experience? Yeah, so I did indeed. So a couple of actually, I'd say last year or the year before, I tried this, and it just did not work for me. I tried all sorts. I tried oat milk, soy milk, almond milk, nothing seemed to work for me. But Beth, because of your encouragement, I did go out and buy oat milk again this time. But I I just, I, it just, and I'm a vegetarian, as you all know, and I really try, I really try to cut back on my dairy products. And I also sing, and apparently they say that dairy isn't good for your voice. So I really do try and cut back on dairy products. But it's just not for me at the moment. I think it's an acquired taste. I think I'm absolutely with you. Like I'm gonna, I come across as sort of the the, the arch anti-vegan in, in the last month's <laughs> podcast, um, which really isn't true. Um, I thought I was very unfairly represented, so I'm here to set the record straight. No, I did try as well because I, I, I like sort of last year, like me and my, my partner were discussing, like it wasn't an easy way that we can sort of reduce our our dairy slash animal based products mm-hmm. intake. Oh, we'll just give like alternative milk a go. I'm a bit of a coffee snob, yeah. as you both know. Like, love, absolutely love my coffee. And I just made, made the top coffee just taste weird. Like, I tried oat milk. Definitely. Tried almond milk. Just, just could not get on with it. And I bet you love a bit of oat milk in a cappuccino, don't you? But I just oh, couldn't I get on with it. it. I'm a coffee snob as well. And it tastes so much better. I think it's just what you want to do. Yes, yes, yeah, definitely. I, just, I mean, to be I, fair, I've tried. I, I am bound by the fact I have to drink it because, you know, milk makes gives me, you know, a funny tummy. Um, also, totally want a comic book on the, what was it you called yourself? The arch-vegan. Yeah, <laughs> anti-vegan, yeah, like <laughs> Captain Meat or something, yeah. <laughs> fly in and throw steaks at people, I don't know. Um, That's like such a 2020 comic book. <laughs> I love it. I was yeah, I was I was de- I was defamed in last month's podcast, to be honest with you. So I'm I'm here to to, to set um, things straight. So we also talked about greenhouse gases in that interview and you know dairy being kind of scrutinized for that. But Anna was actually really open to that and saying that, you know, they are doing a lot in a lot of uh long term it's a long term focus for them. They're increasing investments. So, you know, I think we've we've got to kind of applaud them on that front you know it's not that they're they're not aware of the impacts that are, are happening and as I said I mean Abby I think this will be or will this be one for you I don't know because you do drink dairy yes like are we kind of unfairly putting a lot of pressure on the dairy sector I mean we mentioned this in the last podcast uh where there seems to be a lot of focus on kind of you know cows um passing wind shall I say yes the methane element of it right Mm -hmm. I controversial but I do think we are putting 
a bit of pressure, like a bit of a bit too much pressure on the dairy industry. I think there's a lot to tackle in terms of sustainability and in terms of greenhouse gases and stuff. And I just think dairy, I don't know, it's it's a funny one, but I really also like what he said about organic does not always mean sustainable. And I think sometimes we put all these buzzwords together, like all these good, healthy words, and we kind of just clump them up together. So I I might have been someone who looked at something organic and thought, you know what, this is great for the environment. This is sustainable. This is awesome. But it's not always the same thing. So I think that is a really interesting thing that I kind of not not learn for the first time but it just sort of reminded me that not all good things mean the same thing in in the industry well you heard me sort of like subconsciously put it together in that mm-hmm. interview um mm-hmm. sort of eagle-eared eagle-eared if that's a word hawk-eared <laughs> listeners um, that's brilliant eagle-eared. eagle-eared listeners will have heard that like I, I just said organic sustainable and then as I said it I almost wanted to put the words back in my mouth because I, I like I know that's not true but yes you do just make that sort of synaptic connection, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and me, Beth and I have spoken to a lot of people recently, and there is a real argument around sort of organic going forward. I mean, we keep mentioning this figure of, of 10 billion people on the planet by 2050. I just, we're not going to have to feed those people with our pesticides. That just isn't going to happen. I mean, that's a different podcast. That's a different debate. But Abby, I think you're spot on. Like that, that connection that a lot of people, me, myself included, just seem to make between if this is organic, it must be good for the planet. But actually, it might not be. And yeah, I actually thought it was just really refreshing to hear a big figure in a big company come out and say, yeah, we're absolutely looking at greenhouse gases and we need to do more. Like, I thought it was really, really, really refreshing. Um, it's not something that we hear that often. So really, really interesting. But to answer your point, Beth, do we put pressure on the industry? I think we do. I think they're just an easy target, aren't they? We spoke about the meat sector sort of last month. It's just, a, it's just a bit easy and a bit convenient, isn't it, to say, oh, it's dairy, it's bad. It does deserve the pressure that it gets, I think, but are there other avenues we could explore? Yeah, definitely. A lot of responsibility falls on the industry rather than government, I think. Yes, and that's good. Yes. And consumers. Be, yeah, and yeah. it needs to be put back onto, onto government, really, if I'm being honest. So you mentioned about pesticides. That's, that is an interesting comment because... so. I've been really fascinated recently with the microbiome and gut health. And we've we've actually we've just in we've destroyed our microbiome. So that's essentially like all of the the, the the good and bad stuff in our gut. And we've we've ruined it with kind of what we've put into our bodies. But and and that also means, you know, we're putting pesticides in, into our bodies subconsciously. Because, you know, when you spray the crops with pesticides, um, then, you know, there's going to be some residues that goes into our body. That's not very good for us. So I suppose the whole organic argument is that they use they do actually use pesticides. It's It's a common misconception that they don't, but it's natural. So, you know, do we need to go to more natural ways of kind of controlling pests? I don't know. How feasible is that? Well, this will come as no surprise to you, Beth, that I'm going to say not very. I know I always, always hammer this point every time we have a podcast and every time we discuss this this topic, but we're just going to have to feed so many people. I'm not a scientist. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a, a, an expert in plants, but I just I just can't see how it's, how it's doable. And moreover, I'll, I will once again throw up the expense argument, which again, I know I do every time, but it's an issue quite close to my heart. We've seen massive increases in food costs. Yeah. And for those listeners out there, do check out Abby's article on, on inflation and food and food price increases. It's really, really fascinating um, and worrying. 
We're already asking people to dig deeper for the food that they buy. Organic milk is expensive. It's so much more expensive than speech marks normal milk. Um, Plant-based milk is more expensive. It's. I know I always throw up issues and don't throw up any solutions, but I do think it's something that's worth considering. We can we can want to be organic, and I do want to be organic. We can want to be organic as much as we like, but is it doable? I'd argue probably not. And very again, I just sort of refer back to what Anna Peter said. Doesn't always mean sustainable, and that's clearly something that Friesland Campaign are looking at, isn't it? Because they're on a massive set of to drive by the sounds of it. It doesn't sound like organic necessarily features that highly within that. I thought the the point he made about there being a place for dairy and plant-based was interesting. It, I thought it was interesting that Friesland Campina, by his admission, are looking at plant-based as a market they're going to, to to push towards. I mean, that just shows you the, the direction of travel that, that we're on as an industry. Um, I mean, one of the biggest dairy producers in the world is going more plant-based. And that, that, show, that tells you everything you need to know, really, about where we're going. But that point about dairy existing alongside plant-based, I thought it was really, really interesting. It got me thinking, so what, what would that look like? And I just suddenly thought about cheese. Um, I often think about cheese because I, I <laughs> bloody love it. Who um, doesn't? Who doesn't have a spawn? Um, and I do actually think plant-based cheese is an area where the plant-based sector isn't quite caught up yet. That's just my personal opinion. <gasps> I know Beth would disagree. I on agree. That. I, I, yeah, I just I, it's not the same. But anyway, maybe it's a case where we go plant-based milk, we go plant-based cream, for example, we, we cook with, we go plant-based everything. But there is a place for dairy. In, on the cheese board where you can't create a nice camembert. I don't know. Maybe that's a future that sort of Anna Peter was, was outlining. I'm yeah. loathed to say this, but is it a case of Beth's favourite word, which is moderation? Like we go plant-based for as much as we can, but where we can't replace it, we keep in dairy where we have to. Yeah, a bit like a flexitarian diet. I was just thinking, I completely agree with you with the cheese part because things like the new Big Mac, we don't call it the Big Mac, what is it? The McPlant, that's it, thank you. So I think it's amazing as a vegetarian, as someone who's been looking for something like that for a long time, amazing. However, the cheese is the only thing in the whole burger that kind of lets it down, if anything. And I am yet to try a good cheese alternative as well. So I completely hear where you're coming from. But also, five to seven years ago, not even that long ago, I couldn't find a good ham to put in my sandwich, a good, um, like a mince that I could put in my pasta that was vegetarian or vegan. But that's all changed now. I have like, there's a plethora of options for vegetarians and vegans. So I think cheese and maybe even the taste of milk for those of us that still aren't quite, quite enjoying the taste of it. I think there is a future where if if things are going the way they are, I think there's going to be a lot more tastier options in that sense as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember the days where I couldn't get it was it was uncommon for them to do even, you know, soya milk. And now you've got rice, you've got, oh, I don't know, just got so many options now that never existed. And, you know, as of sort of a couple of years ago, they started doing, maybe even earlier than that, but it was certainly on my radar a couple of years ago, they started doing the Brewster versions, which is great because as you, as we said, you know, I'm a coffee snob, the three of us are coffee snobs for anyone that doesn't know, but, you know, and I like a frothy coffee and I can actually do that now. And I think that's only going to get, it's only going to improve, as you said, Abby, and the options are only going to get better. And there are ingredients companies that are purely focusing on 
the experience of a plant-based alternative in terms of mouthfeel, in terms of taste. So it is it is going to get better. But I do I do think, you know, that and maybe this is naive of me, but maybe we won't ever get the exact replica of meat or of milk in an alternative. And it's mostly about kind of what you're used to, because I do remember when I first had to swap to soy milk, I hated the taste of it. I thought it was really, really grim. And now, I mean, to be fair, I moved on. I, I changed to, to rice milk and then I changed to oat milk. And now I just think it's it's really, really good. And I, you know, I much prefer it to traditional dairy. But do we have to, Beth? I mean, that's the point I'm making, I suppose. If no. we go plant-based for everything that we can do. So I completely agree with the milk side. I mean, I've just got to learn to get on with oat milk. Just, you are right. I need to just grow up and start enjoying oat milk. But is it the case where when everyone, when you do buy like a, a few cheeses for a cheese board or, or for a little treat at Christmas, for example, you do buy like a traditional piece of Stilton, a, a camembert, et cetera, because, and you can do that conscious, um, with, a, with a clear conscience because you're drinking plant-based milk for the rest of the year. I mean, I yeah. think there is, I think one of the places is right. There is a place for dairy at the table, just not in the yeah. current quantity that we eat it. I absolutely agree. And, you know, he raised the point that dairy contributes to a healthy diet. Um, and that that is true. So, yeah, I think, like I've always said, the flexitarian diet is probably the most healthy moving forward. But, you know, that's just a personal opinion I have. And I'm sure there will be people that argue, <coughs> Abby, uh, <laughs> in terms of, of what is, you know, what is healthier. But I think, and you know you've got to find your own you've got to find your own groove, haven't you, into this? So um, but be kind of mindful of the impact that we're having on the climate. Actually, to follow on from that, Beth, I actually <laughs> I'm quite actually for a flexitarian life. Not for me personally. I'm I'm too far gone <laughs> in the sense that <laughs> I'm too far gone. I love yeah. I just can't I can't actually look at certain foods without thinking of the animal that came ahead. I really mm. can't. But I am totally for a flex. It's better than eating meat every single day and having having that going on. And um, I totally hear the health benefits. I I I, I am with you one hundred percent when it comes to the flexitarian diet. I think just like Josh said, if you're eating like plant based stuff throughout the year and then for Christmas, maybe for your birthday, I don't know, you treat yourself. That's absolutely fine. Like I think that's amazing. I think that is great progress in and of itself. If if most people can do that, like imagine the change that you could make in the world. Mm. Yeah, do you know what we might see as well? I don't think it's a particular popular notion, but there are products, I don't think within the milk dairy sector, but there are products that are a combination of plant-based and meat to try and help that oh. transition towards going plant-based so you know they mix chicken with a, a plant-based chicken should we say oh my gosh that's so strange yeah so I mean do you think guys that will ever see dairy being mixed with I don't know oat to make some sort of hybrid milk <laughs> I don't know if I see the point in that <laughs> yeah me neither actually do you know what I mean like, if that's I'm, so if strange I, want, I know like if I want the big old bit of french brie like i'll just go for the brie if i don't i'll just go plant-based you know what i mean i, I don't know it's, a, um, it's I, apologies. To help people it's to help people transition to plant-based fully because it's of like the, weaning them off yeah yeah like weaning <laughs> off yeah that's hilarious 
Uh, maybe, maybe you can get me on that for the for the oat milk. We'll 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 make a transition slowly well, but surely. We can make our own. What we'll do is, in your milk, we'll just pipette little drops of oat milk into it without telling me. <laughs> well, yeah, without telling you. Yeah, and, and then we'll yeah, we'll do the same for Abby, and then we'll see you know who switches first. <laughs> you know what? That sounds. I'm really intrigued by that. I'm really intrigued to see if that actually would work. <laughs> <laughs> probably just make your milk taste funny to be honest <laughs> oh dear all right then should we should we sum up brilliant yeah again just to reinforce i thought it was a really really interesting conversation i think there's so many avenues you can go down which you can probably tell by the various directions we've taken during the last sort of 20 minutes or so um, you can go down the plant-based route you can go down the sustainability route there's so many different facets of this conversation i think the core message to take away from what one of the biggest sort of dairy producers in the world is saying is that things are changing in the dairy sector i think you can't ignore plant-based anymore um as you said beth it's not a niche it's not niche anymore it's it's a massive part of what of what the sector does that's the direction of travel the conversations around when we utilize animal-based when we utilize plant-based i think is a really really interesting one it's a debate we're going to have to have i find that really really interesting where do we have a sort of animal-based cheese for a special occasion but in plant-based first of the year it's a really, really fascinating idea, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the next sort of couple of years with that. Abby, what are your uh, last thoughts? Yeah, mine's just an echo to exactly what Josh said. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what's to come, and I think with the change that's been made, not just in the last few years, but even in the last year or two, I'd say it's, there's been a massive leap and. I think not to sound too cliche, but better days are ahead, honestly, in terms of like all of this stuff. I think I think progress is being made and yeah, we'll just have to wait and see how how it's gonna turn out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with both of you. And I think for me personally, the the area of interest is the functionality. There's been research that suggests that the microbiome can actually reduce things like stress, improve sleep. I mean, it's in its early stages, but it'd be really interesting. I mean, imagine drinking a milk that can help with sleep, um, you know, and it being scientifically proven or something that can help with stress. And I think also we we haven't we haven't picked up yet the fact that Honor said that we could eat chocolate all day. <laughs> oh yes, my ears pricked up when he said that about the health like quote unquote healthy kind of chocolate. That my ears pricked up. I love that's that. unreal, isn't it? That's absolutely that's a game changer. Come that's- on, uh, come on, Freeze Land, get on yes. that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely an exaggeration. But hey, you know, I'm I'm all for the the, the healthy chocolate fortified with fiber. I'd, I'd be all over that. If I can have my uh, my guilty pleasure without the guilt, that would be wonderful. Um, so thanks so much uh, for tuning in and listening to us. Um, and, uh, you know, as always, hope you enjoyed it and uh, we'll be back soon.